Hi there, welcome back to our study of 1 Kings. We are in 1 Kings chapter 12 today, and we'll be looking at verses 1 to 24. This is a very significant moment in the history of Israel as we will see the kingdom divided in two into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. But also we will see God's control over human affairs even when bad things are happening and we will see and be reminded of God's faithfulness to keep his word and fulfill what he has said. So let's look at this passage together. Remember that uh, Solomon was told by God that because of his sin in turning away from the Lord, that uh, in the days of his son, the kingdom would be taken away. And yet God said that one of the tribes of Israel would be left with Solomon's son, so he wouldn't wouldn't take the whole kingdom away. and also we saw that God raised up three adversaries against Solomon. And the third one was a man named Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was told that he would receive uh, the kingship over the ten tribes that were going to be taken away from Solomon's son. And in chapter 12, all of those things come to pass. So let's look at 1 Kings chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. The scripture says, Rehoboam, now that's Solomon's son, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. So right here at the beginning of the chapter, we have all the drama in place. We've already been told what is going to happen. We've already been told that Jeroboam is going to receive kingship over the ten tribes. We've already been told that the kingdom is going to be taken away from Jeroboam with the exception of, of uh, one tribe. And uh, we, so we know what's going to happen. And uh, at the end of chapter 11, Jeroboam fled to Egypt because Solomon was trying to kill him, probably because Solomon had found out that God had said he was going to be king next. So um, Jeroboam has fled to Egypt, but now Solomon has died. Rehoboam has come to Shechem. And by the way, that is a little confusing, right? Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Rehoboam is Solomon's son. Jeroboam is going to be the king over the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, So Rehoboam has come to Shechem to be made king. Jeroboam has gotten uh, word about what's going on. And so he has come from Egypt uh, back to Israel. And so he's there uh, in the crowd with the people. And what the people say to to Rehoboam is, "Look, look, we will serve you, but your father made things really hard for us. If you would lighten our load, uh, we would serve you. And maybe they're talking about all that, um, you know, drafted labor and, and all the work that had to be done um, under Solomon 
to build all the things that Solomon built. It doesn't say specifically what they're mentioning, but if you think back to some of those building projects and all the people who had to rotate through and to, to work on those things, maybe that's what he's talking about. But either way, Rehoboam says, give me some time to think about that. Come back in three days and I'll have an answer for you. Uh, and again, it's significant that Jeroboam is there in the crowd. He's one of the people speaking up and saying, hey, you need to do this differently than your father. Then verse 6 says, Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Now, that sounds like pretty good advice, right? Just sort of reading and listening to that, that sounds like, yeah, that makes sense. If you will grant their request, lighten their load, they'll be happy that you're the king and that's gonna go really well for a long time. And it says that these men stood before Solomon. And remember how, um, how wise, of course, Solomon was. And, and uh, even the Queen of Sheba had said, you know, the people who get to stand around in your court and, and hear your wisdom are blessed. So these are people who have been in Solomon's presence. Maybe they were Solomon's advisors. And so these are probably some pretty wise guys. Off, off also, They've been around for a long time, right? And so they've seen a lot. They've experienced a lot. And so I think we're meant to assume these guys are wise and are giving wise counsel. But look at verse 8. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. So he ignores the counsel of the wiser, older men, and he seeks out the counsel of his contemporaries, of his friends, of those who grew up with him. Uh, and verse 9 says, And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the, loke that your, the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus you shall speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So his friends, or at least contemporaries, they advise that instead of... Um, responding positively to the request to make things easier to lighten their load, that he instead say, you ain't seen nothing yet. You think my dad was hard on you? I'm gonna be even harder. Things are gonna be even tougher. That's their advice. Take a hard line against the people. And that's the counsel that Jeroboam listens to. Um, verse 12 says, so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly. And forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Now, 
uh, it's worth pausing here uh, to notice that one of the things this story is doing is it is warning us about the kind of advice, the kind of counsel that we listen to. You don't have to be a king to be somebody who seeks out advice, who seeks out wisdom, who seeks out counsel about things you should do, decisions you should make. You probably have friends or people in your family or um, you know, a pastor or a, a godly older friend or somebody who when you're wrestling with something or you don't know what to do or you want to make a good decision, you ask them, you seek out their advice. And we have to be careful whose advice we seek because not everybody uh, is wise and not every um, piece of counsel that we receive is worth following and the decisions that we make based on the counsel we receive they have can have significant consequences and uh, not only that but we also take in a lot of counsel we don't necessarily think about through things we listen to on the radio or podcasts, or television, movies, talk radio, you know, magazines, all kinds of things. We are taking in all kinds of advice, all kinds of counsel about how we should live, what our marriage should look like, what kind of life we should pursue, what things we should value, how much money we should spend on this or that, or what kind of lifestyle we ought to have, and on and on and on and on and on. And we have to be careful, again, what counsel we listen to, what counsel we follow, because it can have serious and significant consequences, not only for our lives, but for the lives of people around us. So uh, Rehoboam, I think it's safe to say, makes a bad decision here, right? It's, it's not real hard to read this story and think, you know, I think if you had gone with the counsel of the older men, that would have been better. But verse 15 uh, takes this story to another level and says this. It says, so the king did not listen to the people for... It was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So he took the wrong advice and he made the wrong decision. And yet it says this was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord. In other words, God was not sort of looking down on Jeroboam going, Oh no, what have you done? Or excuse me, on Rehoboam. What have you done, Rehoboam? You've messed up all my plans. No, Rehoboam's foolishness and taking a foolish counsel and acting on it, that actually brought about exactly what the Lord had planned and what the Lord had said. Remember, he had told Jeroboam through this prophet who we're reminded here, this is Ahijah the Shilonite who we met back in chapter 11 who told Jeroboam he was going to be king over the 10 tribes and whatnot. This passage is telling us Rehoboam's foolishness that was ultimately under the control, under the sovereignty of God. God was in control of this whole situation and even though what Rehoboam did was foolish, it ultimately came about to fulfill God's plan because God is in control. Now, this is not the only place in the Bible where we are told quite plainly that something bad happened and yet God was in control 
over it. He wasn't guilty of any wrongdoing or any sin. The people who did the bad and wicked things, they were still responsible. And yet their wickedness was not a sign that God was out, uh, that things were out of God's control, but instead reaffirmed that God was in control because those people, even by their sin, brought about the very thing that God had planned and purposed. The chief example of this, of course, is the death of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, this is made very plain that um, Jesus' death on the cross was God's plan. It was God's purpose for his son to die on the cross. That's clear all throughout the Bible. That was prophesied and promised in the Old Testament. It takes place in the Gospels. It's expounded in the letters. It's clear that that was God's plan from the beginning. And in Acts 2 and Acts 4, uh, we're told specifically that what took place when Jesus died fulfilled God's plan, God's purpose. And yet, we are also told that the people who put Jesus on the cross, the Jews who handed him over, the Romans who had him crucified, despite the fact that he was innocent, those people were culpable. They were guilty. They were doing wrong and sinful things. So if they were doing something wrong and sinful, does that mean it was totally outside of God's control? No, it doesn't. God was in control. They were fulfilling God's plan. Well, if they were fulfilling God's plan, then is God somehow getting his hands dirty? Is he somehow guilty because what these people were doing was sinful? No, the people themselves were acting in accord with their own desires, right? They were doing sinful things. They're responsible. They're held accountable. God is holy. God is not, uh, does not sin. He's not even tempted by sin. And so God's plan is fulfilled even while people are doing sinful things. And that shows us that even when things are going wrong, even when things are a mess, even when people are doing things that are wicked, that does not mean the world is off the rails. That does not mean the universe is spinning out of control. God is still in control. Even the wicked actions of sinful men must serve the ultimate plan and purpose of God because God is ultimately and always in control over all that happens. So we see that very plainly, right, in verse 15. And uh, then that moves us on to um, verse 16. It says, And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel, who lived in the cities of Judah. Then Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. So here is where the division takes place. And this is, like I said at the beginning, a key moment in Israel's history. 
You had King Saul, then King David, then King Solomon. And at the end of King Solomon's life, the kingdom of Israel that was united under Saul and David and Solomon is now divided between the ten tribes that proclaim Jeroboam king and the tribe of Judah that remains under the kingship of Rehoboam and and the house of David. And that's the way it stays. Um, This kingdom is is divided uh, throughout the rest of 1st and 2nd Kings. They even have separate exiles at separate times because they become separate nations at this point. So when the king doesn't listen to their reasonable request, the people say, well, why do we need somebody from David to be our king? We have no portion in David. We're out of here. David, you take care of your own stuff. David is from the tribe of Judah, right? And so he's going to look after that tribe and the rest of Israel uh, goes and they make Jeroboam king. And the division is so bad, the hostility, animosity, etc. is so bad that when Rehoboam sends out the taskmaster, they stone him to death. So notice how crazy this scene is, right? And how terrible it is. That's all that's going on. There's supposed to be a peaceful transition of power, but instead uh, we see a hostile division of the nation into two separate nations, and the hostility is manifested in the death of one of the ruler's administrators. And this division was brought about by hostile and foolish words that were spoken by the king. But the ultimate cause of this division was the sin of a previous leader, the sin of Solomon, who turned from the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that every piece of that story corresponds to something in our current situation. So please don't overinterpret what I'm saying. But what I am trying to point out is two things. Number one, the people that think the Bible is antiquated and unimportant and irrelevant and has nothing to say to us today, look at this story. Does this not sound like the kind of thing that could happen right now or the kinds of things that are happening in our lives in some cases right now? That's the first thing. And the second thing is, it's always important to remember that we are not the first people to live in trying or divided times. This is not new. We see it right here in the Bible. Now let's finish up real quick. Verse 21 says, When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors, to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel, Every man returned to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again according to the word of the Lord. All this bad stuff that's happening, it's a consequence of Solomon's sin. It's exactly what God said would happen. And so when Rehoboam tries to fight it and tries to fix it, God says, no, this is the plan. This is what I said I would do. This is what I am doing. So leave it alone. Don't try to undo it. Don't try to fix it. And thankfully, he listened. 
So much, much, much for us to ponder and to learn from uh, in this passage of Scripture. A significant moment in Israel's history, but also uh, something that feels very contemporary when you look at the uh, hostility and division. So I hope this study uh, challenges and encourages and blesses you. See you next time.